0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadin and this is Kelly and Ramia.
0: Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well it's actually it oval. Just say yeah. The
2: blind guy feels it now, goes, <laughs> I don't know I, say. I guess it is oval. Kind
1: of oval.
2: Check one two Ramia, are you there?
1: Oh, yeah. Thank God you checked. Yes, I am here, Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Good. There's a little bit of a psych to get things going as we get so excited about the roundtable. And, um, you know, this is a weekly conversation. We kind of leave things uh, off the table before we bring the conversation itself in. And the person who picks the subjects gets to keep it all to themselves. And sometimes that's me. Usually it's Kelly McDonald. And today we have the pleasure of Grant Hardy joining us on the roundtable here, Vancouver reporter for AMI. Grant, I hope we have you. You do
0: indeed. Woo-hoo! You guys, you sound like you're having too much fun. I'm we happy are. to join you and up the fun maybe even a little bit more.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm totally excited that you're uh, <laughs> joining us. Thank you so much. And Jeffy, behind the scenes, we are ready to go. So let's start with this first conversation piece. Researchers, and I'm bringing disability in uh, from the get-go. So re- researchers at the University of Michigan are studying how well people with autism spectrum disorder can detect road hazards. And during phase one of the study, researchers found that um, students with ASD detected fewer hazards than controlled participants during simulated drives, but... Researcher Lise Hedges says many of the students improved with
2: further training. We were encouraged to find that the intervention worked for the kids in the ASD um, group. So those folks that underwent training improved in two-thirds of the hazards in the simulated drive.
1: Okay, so... The project is being funded by the Ford Ford Motor Company, by the way. And um, I wanted to start with just the, like, as we were, as I was scrolling through and um, found this article, the first thing I felt was offense. You know, I was like, excuse me what what is what's happening what is this and this is obviously before any context of the study at all and I was just thinking uh where is this going what am I going to learn at the end of hearing this clip or reading this piece um and then when it got to the last line and saying okay but they are improving with more training um I was glad to hear that expansion so Grant you're initial reaction to this study, first of all, um, that it's taking place, that this is what they've discovered and they want to acknowledge that with further training, students with ASD are detecting more road hazards.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a really, really tough one with safety, obviously. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because I, I do think oftentimes, you know, as we know, uh, If you meet one person with autism, you've only met one person with autism. I think people who are neurotypical uh, tend to be very good at sort of overgeneralizing that, you know, people with ASD are X and Y or, or do X and Y. And if you actually talk to the community of people or talk to someone who's maybe a little better qualified, you might get a bit of a dressing down. Um, Ultimately, I do think road safety and road hazards are very complicated and it is important to research it and come up with policies and solutions that are based on appropriate research. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about how this has been framed
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: how this research has been conducted, uh, but I'd certainly be interested in in learning more. Ultimately, I'd be very curious what sort of knowledge these individuals think they have about ASD, whether they've evolved, you know, experts from the community and and to what extent? It just seems a little bit basic and simplistic. What are, what are your thoughts?
1: I 100% agree. And which is why, you know, I hope that the, the biases that you're uh, pointing out that could have been involved in this study being uh, conducted in the first place, I am hoping that They didn't exist. And this is purely for, you know, science for understanding um, neuro uh, atypical persons, and for trying to get a better picture like of the spectrum of ASD. But Then again, you're talking driving and you're talking road hazards, which all of this, like you said, is a complex thing to begin with. And even for, you know, autonomous vehicles, right, we're talking not even the brain, the human brain, but just thinking uh, in the sense of when we're talking autonomous cars um, and semi-autonomous cars and teaching them through AI and machine learning to detect uh, road hazards and uh, be able to handle all kinds of situations on the streets, um, how much that takes. And the the concept there is people are not giving up, companies are not giving up, uh, initiatives are furthering uh, to make sure that the autonomous vehicles are coming into play. So now when we bring back people of neurodiversity and just like, you know, are we making sure that we're continuing to uh, have driving be an option for more people uh, of all kinds? And that's, that's just a question that I have personally. Sorry, you were going to respond. Totally.
0: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think also, um, You know, it's really important to remember that humans are highly distractible when we're driving. Everybody is very distractible. If you did a study about people with little kids in the car, I bet you Uh would find that those people miss out on road hazards or people who have had a crummy day at work or people who left a little bit late without, you know, having time to pick up their, you know, their, their Starbucks. You can literally be practically an impaired driver. Um, so researching this a hundred percent important. Um, but like you said, it's important that we, we don't, we're not excluding people just because we've decided that they have a disability and we're going to mm-hmm. scrutinize them more than we would do other people.
1: For sure, yeah. The intention behind this research really does count for a lot of um, what we discover, anyway. And honestly, guys, you know, driving is such a touchy subject. It's something that's very delicate um, for a lot of people in the disability communities because we, you know, some people lose their their driver's licenses. Some people have been told forever that they can't drive. You know, in your your own situations, what what about driving makes it, uh, you, you know? hard a difficult conversation for you and brock you have an accessible vehicle that it's not driven by you but it is an accessible uh vehicle. no it is not <laughs> yeah full disclosure you don't drive it but it's there um and you can utilize it but i'm wondering like does this feel you know like it can be an awkward conversation or does this feel difficult for you to uh in general driving
2: this one uh this topic. Um, felt to me, and I hope I'm wrong, but it felt to me like you. It was another one of those situations where it was like people with ASD, you know, didn't detect as many hazards on the road. But look at this improvement as we pat them on the back for improving. I, I, I that's the first reaction I had. I get the same reaction when I was in a couple of weeks ago, almost a month ago. Now I was in a little bit of a. Uh, uh, fender bender where someone rear-ended us and the cop was like beyond shocked when uh my attendant opened up the back door and said this is his vehicle you know you need to discuss with him and, and the cop was like oh it's in your name it's your insurance it's you and it's like are we still here where we mm-hmm. have to where where we have to have these conversations so yes although i'm subjecting Uh, others driving my vehicle and it's only two or three people at most that drive my vehicle but it it just it surprises me how how still society gets shocked as to oh you own your own vehicle but you don't drive how does that work like uh, there were so many insurance companies where I would apply for insurance and they'd say oh you don't drive we're not going to insure you and I found one and they're like yeah we can insure you we just Mm -hmm. have to put others on board here and i deserve to own a vehicle much does the next individual and i just this 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 article itself i just kind of felt to myself we're doing another one of those pat on the backs and i hope i'm wrong but that's yeah the initial reaction i had
1: yeah good job you can be in Mm -hmm. a car now good job you can own a car now and uh we'll see about you driving but we can't guarantee that that'll be a thing um, definitely a lot of responses and reactions to it. Thanks for sharing uh the both of you uh how you felt. I want to move to something else that's going on. The life of former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson gets a limited series treatment starting today.
2: They call me a savage. making Mike wasn't
0: easy for star Trevante Rhodes, who plays Mike Tyson.
2: We had a really a really tumultuous shoot man, so it was just and you know you get hurt. You know, they don't care.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more on that when you say tumultuous and you get hurt? Like, physically you got hurt? Hey, man. Can't go too deep into that. What he did go deep into was the voice and physicality of the former heavyweight champ, though Tyson was not involved in the project and has said he's not happy about it. Now I'm really going to have some fun. The first two episodes of Mike hit Hulu today. Jason and ABC News, Hollywood.
1: Oh, my gosh, the pressure. So... We know that it's not easy portraying any kind of all star uh, celebrity, actor, singer, athlete. Like the list goes on for people you <laughs> probably are so nervous to have to portray um, on camera. And I think it's just, it, it's huge and it's nerve wracking no matter who it is, no matter how great of an actor, actress, or a cast member you are, um, the director, producer, whatever it is, take the whole team. Uh, when you got to, you know, support something like this. It's exciting, but it's also very nerve wracking. Is there something Brocky, that you look for specifically? And I mean, look visually, but it can just be anything in your experience of um, watching something like this, right? Somebody portraying Mike Tyson or anything else in your past experiences of um, seeing pre- people portray somebody else. Is there something that you look for to, to nitpick or to say, man, they did that really, really well?
2: you really have to in um you know delve into the the person you're trying to portray because if you don't fully immerse yourself in the individual you're trying to play it comes off as almost like fake and if you don't and you need to do all of the little idiosyncrasies of each person if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it right because otherwise, it does a disservice to the person you're trying to portray and a disservice to yourself. and And that's why. And I want to preface this by saying, I would never, ever, ever want to play uh, Mike Tyson <laughs> because I couldn't do the things that I that I'm saying to do. But you have to make it believable. And I find sometimes when someone tries to play another person that's not them, you kind of go. Okay, that didn't go over well, or that did go over well. It did sound like that that actor uh pretty well delved into Mike Tyson and had some of the same vocal demeanor as Mike Tyson, so to me, it seems pretty believable, but it would be hard to accomplish from.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's vocal, it's physicality, like we heard in the clip, but also it's, you know, their personal life, their professional life, the way that they they process things, you're kind of taking out a lot. But also the question is, how well do we know Mike Tyson? Like, you know, people who are going to see this miniseries, how well have they delved deep into Mike Tyson before judging the portrayal of Mike Tyson? Uh, Grant, your thoughts? <laughs>
0: Boy, I, I have to tell you, as someone coming to this non-visually, um, one thing I always experience when others are trying to portray people on screen on stage is, you know, someone will go, uh, "Wow, this is like a perfect, incredible look-alike. This mm. this was cast perfectly." And then I listen to them, and I go this sounds absolutely nothing like them. Their their voice is 100% different. And people say, oh, I I, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Um, And that is something that I find truly fascinating. Because if you, Ramya, or I were doing the casting, we would probably look for some uh, very, very, very distinct qualities from what other people are looking for. Because, you know, people say that the eyes are the window into the soul. I kind of, for me, it's the what people say and how they talk and mm-hmm. their, their voice. It's really how I get to know people. So I, I've always found that fascinating.
1: Yes. And I, I know exactly what you mean. And it's something that honestly, I haven't even necessarily made a big deal of in the past, but I've always thought it in my mind. I think, okay, yeah, I've decided people are saying it's good, then it must be good, but it definitely, you know, Beyonce doesn't sound like Etta James or uh, <clears throat> Jamie Fox doesn't sound like Ray Charles. And it, it's a, just that point of, man, I just wanted to say super hearing, but you know what I mean? It's that point of like we tap in with our ears. <laughs> so <laughs> so it feels a little bit uh, dissatisfactory when you hear the person and you think, okay, yeah, I can hear it. But it's not perfect. It's not, I, can, I will not have that reaction that people have visually, um, so- and
2: you can't you can't fundamentally change someone's voice. Like you can you can try and and make it sort of sound kind of sort of ish the same way. But that's why people in our situation who have low vision were like, yeah, but you kind of miss the boat on there, and then it takes that. Uh, Person with vision to go oh yeah I never thought of that because why they're so immersed into something that we're not and I can see a little bit but you know I do still miss some of the facial features so audio is where I turn but it's it's hard to just completely you know reenact someone's voice because everyone has a little bit of different innuendos in their own voice so it's you know it's hard to do that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, guys, I want to get to one more real quick thing. Jeffy, we're going to skip to the last clip. The shopping habits of Americans have really changed and retails are, retailers are feeling it. Consumers are wrestling with higher prices, inflation's hovering near four-decade highs, and that's being felt across the retail sector, with few exceptions. Shoppers are trading down. They're buying cheaper brands, looking for discounts, and even making fewer visits to stores. They're cutting back on new clothing, electronics, furniture, and almost everything else that's not absolutely necessary. Macy's is reporting its sales slipped about 1% in the second quarter, but that was better than expected. It's cutting prices as it tries to unload a glut of unsold inventory. I'm Rita Foley. So just a quick response on this grant from you. Are you one of these people? Or are you still shopping the way that you used to? Or was it, does this not apply, not applicable?
0: <laughs> no, I would. I would say this is this is certainly applicable that I think we're experiencing a little bit of the reality of inflation, the cost of living are going up. Maybe the quality of living is slipping a little bit, hopefully not too, too bad. But um, I I would say this vibes with uh, my reality uh, Mm -hmm. and my lived experience as well, that things are just so expensive. Food is so expensive. Um, other essentials are so expensive that, uh, it's, uh, it's really incredible. And it does lead to some fear, a little, little disconcerting, uh, thinking about the future.
1: Yeah. And we, we were hearing it from small retailers, you know, mom and pop shops. But when you're saying you, something as humongous as Macy's is noticing how big of a change people are going through and it's really, really affecting the overall, uh, way of life and way of business then that is a pretty big concern brocky
2: yeah that pretty well depicts my way of living things are expensive i look in my cart uh constantly and go yeah but what did i buy and how did it get to be so much like uh, you know when i don't buy meat and it's like how did i get over 150 dollars and there's no meat in my cart yeah oh my i'm God, living that was... life
1: i know Grant, thank you so much for your time. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on the roundtable and hopefully you will be back sometime soon.
0: It's always a blast. Have a good one, guys.
1: We didn't scare him away. Grant Hardy, our reporter in Vancouver, joining us on this week's roundtable along with Brock Richardson. We'll be back. We're going to wrap up the show after the break.